podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 3rd of November. Brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to LibertyShield.com right now and use the code EPL25. That's EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Do remember to give a listen to... A tad predictable, hosted by Tadiwa on this platform, on this feed. That is out now, so you can give that a listen after you finish with this one, previewing the weekend's games. And then after the weekend, make sure to listen to the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries with his motley crew of contributors. Always a good listen. Right, folks. Champions League group stage is done and dusted. We had eight games last night, so let's get into them. Real Madrid 5, Celtic 1, a Luka Modric penalty, a Rodrigo penalty, Marco Asensio, Vinicius Jr. and Fede Valverde putting Real 5-0 up. Jota with a late consolation goal for Celtic. Little bit of an embarrassment, it must be said. Real go through as top of the group. Celtic go out bottom of the group. Also in that group, we had Shakhtar Donetsk nil, RB Leipzig four. Leipzig had been walloped by Shakhtar first time round, and they went and did a bit of walloping of their own in this one. And Kunku, Silva, Zabozlai, and an own goal by Bondar giving Leipzig the 4-0 win. Leipzig through in second place and Shakhtar drop into the Europa League where they may be without one or two of the players who've really impressed in this group stage after the January transfer window. Uh, Moving on then, we had Milan 4, Salzburg 0, 2 by Olivier Giroud, Rade Krunic and Junior Messias with the other. That's a really impressive win for Milan. And a win they needed as well, just to confirm their spot in the knockout phases. Chelsea, also in that group, 2-1 winners over Dinamo Zagreb. They went 1-0 behind to a Petkovic goal. But Sterling and Denis Sicaria pulled Chelsea into the lead. And that is where they stayed. So Chelsea topped the group. 
Milan finished second. Salzburg head for the Europa League. And Dinamo Zagreb's European adventure is over for another season. Manchester City 3, Sevilla 1. Rico Lewis, Julian Alvarez and Riyad Mahrez scoring for City after Rafa Mir had put Sevilla 1-0 up in the first half. Rico Lewis is 17. I believe that's his first goal for the club. Very, very big night to get that first goal. Also in that group, Copenhagen won. Dortmund won. Uh, Torgan Hazard scored the first goal. And Haraldson equalised in the 41st minute. And the second half was very much Copenhagen pushing for the win, but just not quite getting there. Uh, City win the group. Dortmund finish second, they're through to the knockout phases. Sevilla drop into the Europa League and Copenhagen are out. And in the final group, Group H, we had Juventus 1, PSG 2. Kylian Mbappe put PSG 1 up. Bonucci equalised on 39. Nuno Mendes scored the winner for PSG. PSG weren't impressive in this game. I thought Juventus were the better team on the night. And we're a little bit unfortunate not to get something from the game. But PSG went there, wanted the win, got the win. But unfortunately for them, it's not quite enough because Benfica went to Maccabi Haifa and won 6-1. Ramos put them one up on 20. Charon Cherry scored a penalty on 26 to equalize. It stayed that way till the 59th minute. And then Patar Musa. Alex Grimaldo, Rafa Silva, Henrique Oreo, and a Joe Mario last-minute goal gave Benfica a 6-1 win and means that Benfica topped the group because they scored more away goals. Their head-to-head was the same. Their goals scored were the same. Their goals conceded were the same. Their goal difference, obviously, then the same. Points the same. But Benfica, more away goals, meaning Benfica topped the group and they will face an easier, quote-unquote, draw in the next round. So, going through, we have Napoli and Liverpool, Porto and Bruges, Bayern and Inter, Tottenham and Eintracht Frankfurt, Chelsea and Milan, Real Madrid and RB Leipzig, Manchester City and Dortmund, Benfica and PSG. Little bit of a of an embarrassing Champions League campaign for La Liga, with three of their four sides failing to progress, one of them finishing bottom of their group. Two Portuguese teams topping their groups, very, very impressive. Sporting not qualifying for the next round, but heading into the Europa League, so not an overall disaster. Uh, Liverpool, the only English side not to win their group, but funnily enough, took the most points in their group with 15 as opposed to 14 for City, 13 for Chelsea and 11 for Spurs. Should set us up with some really interesting round of 16 games. From an English point of view... Liverpool can face Porto, they can face Bayern, they can face Real Madrid, or they can face Benfica. 
City and Chelsea and Tottenham can all face Bruges, Inter. Sorry, let's start with Tottenham. They can face Bruges, Inter, Milan, Leipzig, Dortmund or PSG. Chelsea can face all the same except Milan. They could face Eintracht instead. And City can face all the same except Dortmund, but they could face Milan or Eintracht instead. So Liverpool are likely to get the toughest draw of the four, unless one of the English clubs gets really unlucky and draws PSG, who I think are probably the strongest of the second-place teams, along with Liverpool. Well, you would fancy at least two of the English sides to advance to the round of eight. Real can face any of the runners-up because no other Spanish club is through. The only one they can't face is Leipzig. Bayern can face any of the runners-up bar Inter and Dortmund. Porto can face any of the runners-up bar Bruges. Napoli, any of the runners-up bar Liverpool and Inter. Oh, and Milan, of course. They can't play. Bayern can play Frankfurt either. Oh, Bayern can't play Frankfurt. That's a um, good unless shout. Unless the have... Europa League winner makes them different or something? No, it, it shouldn't do. It shouldn't do. So we have four English clubs, three German clubs, three Italian clubs, two Portuguese clubs, one Spanish club and one Belgian club in the round of 16. And I think everybody would agree that Club Bruges are the most surprising team in the round of 16. Tonight, we have Europa League action. So in Group A, it's Arsenal versus Zurich and Bodo Glimt versus PSV Eindhoven. Arsenal are through. PSV are through. It just remains to be seen who tops the group and who goes into the knockout round where they have to face one of the teams that drops in from the Champions League. As things stand, you would fancy Arsenal to go directly into the round of 16 and PSV to welcome one of those Champions League teams. Uh, in That's a late kickoff. That's an 8pm kickoff. Also 8pm kickoffs in Group B where Fenerbahce and Wren are both through. Again, don't know yet which team will go to the round of 16 and who will be in the knockout round. Um, Dinamo Kiev at home to Fenerbahce. You would expect Fenerbahce to get the win there because Dinamo have been awful. At Wren at home to Larnaca. Again, you'd expect Wren to win and then that will probably come down to goal difference between them and Fenerbahce. Uh, Group C... Also a late kickoff. Real Betis are top and they're through to the round of 16. It's between Ludogorets and Roma for the spot in the knockout round. Roma are home to Ludogorets tonight, so that's a big game. And then Betis are home to HJK. The loser of the Roma-Ludogorets game ends up in the Conference League. Same thing with all the other groups, obviously, at the moment. Larnaca looking likely to go to the Conference League and Bodo Glimt looking likely to go to the Conference League as things stand. 
Uh, if Ludogorets Roma ends in a draw, Ludogorets go through and Roma are Conference League bound. In Group D, we have uh, Union St. Gilles there through and they will top the group. Union Berlin, second and Braga third. Both those sides can still qualify for the knockout round with the other going to the Conference League. Union St. Gilles face Union Berlin. That should be a good game. And then Braga face Malmo. You'd give Braga the advantage there because they've got the easier tie. But St. Gilles might just rest everybody because they're already through. Real Sociedad currently top Group E. Manchester United are second. Sheriff Tiraspol are third. And Ammonia are bottom. This is the early kickoff, the 5.45. Real Sociedad at home to Manchester United. Sheriff Tiraspol at home to Ammonia. So you'd expect Sheriff Tiraspol end up in the Conference League, barring a, a really surprising result uh, where Ammonia beat them 4-0 away. Uh, United likely to end up second and into the knockout round unless, well, 2-0, I think it's a 2-0 win they need. Um, a 2-0 win they need to get past Saucedad and top the group. If they do that there in the round of 16 and Saucedad will face a Champions League team. Group F then, it is Lazio and Sturm Graz on eight points, Feyenoord and Mittliand on five points. Anybody could go through here. Mittliand are home to Sturm Graz. Feyenoord are home to Lazio. Uh, so that is going to be a big, big game there. Again, they're both early kickoffs. Group G, again, on the early side. Right now, it's Freiburg top there through. They are guaranteed a place in the round of 16. Quarabeg and Nance, and Nance will fight it out for the place in the knockout round. The other going to the Conference League. Quarabeg face Freiburg at home. Nance have to travel to Olympiacos, so you give Quarabeg the uh, advantage there. And then finally, Group H. Ferenc Farish are top there through. Monaco, Trabzonspor, Red Star, Belgrade could all join them. And then obviously one other will head into the Conference League. Tonight it is Trabzonspor at home to Ferenc Farosh, Monaco at home to Red Star. I think you'd give Monaco the likely advantage there. Uh, so that would mean Ferenc Farosh probably topped the group. If I'm not mistaken, they beat Monaco... Yeah, they beat Monaco. So they've got the better head-to-head -head record against Monaco with, with a win and a draw. So they would top the group if things stay the same in terms of the uh, the positioning. In the Conference League, also on tonight, Group A, Istanbul, Besiktas and Fiorentina, they're both through. Remains to be seen who will top the group and go to the round of 16 and who will take on a Europa League team in the knockout round. Um, Istanbul are home to Hearts. That's a 3.30 kickoff, I think, or 4.30 kickoff. It's an early kickoff anyway. And ORFS are home to Fiorentina. In Group B, West Ham are through. They're top. They're guaranteed a place in the round 16. And it's between Silkberg and Anderlecht. Silkberg are home to Anderlecht tonight. West Ham are away to Steaua Bucharest. I can imagine Moyes is going to send a heavily rotated team out tonight. Group C, Villarreal through, guaranteed round of 16. 
Lech Poznan and Beersheva both have an opportunity to go into the knockout round. It is Beersheva at home to Austria Vienna, whereas Lech Poznan are home to Villarreal. Again, Villarreal probably sending a heavily rotated team. Group D, Nice are top, Partizan second, and Cologne third. Two of those three can still go through. So we've got Partizan home to Slovakia. That's the big advantage. That's the easiest game. Cologne home to Nice. So despite being top, Nice might find themselves out of Europe entirely if they suffer defeat in Cologne. In Group E, AZ are top. Dnipro are second. Both are through. Remains to be seen who goes into the round of 16 and who's in the knockout. Uh, they face each other tonight in Alkmaar. And in the other game, Limassol take or Limassol take on Vaduz. In Group F, it's Jurgarden's top and guaranteed a spot in the round of 16. Molda second, Ghent third. Either of them can still go through. Shamrock Rovers have been eliminated. Ro- Rovers travelled to Jurgarden's this week, um, or tonight rather, to face um, the Swedish side. And Ghent are home to Molda. Group G, Sivaspor, they're through. We just don't know yet where they're going to finish. Cluj and Slavia Prague still fighting it out for the second. Sivaspor, so big game there. And then Cluj at home to Balkany. And lastly, Group H, Slovan Bratislava, Basel, Pionic. Those three can still go through. Zalgiris are eliminated, I believe. No, they can still go through, but they just can't top the group. Zalgiris plays play Slovan. If they win that, they can get second, but not first. Uh, Pionic face Basel in the other game. That should be fairly decent. Um, yeah, there's there's some good games tonight. There is. I think in the Europa League, AZ versus Dnipro is a big one. Cologne versus Nice is a big one. Silkberg versus Anderlecht, if you just want a game for the neutrals. Um, but the Europa League is probably where the better games are tonight, to be fair. Right, that is our European catch-up and wrap-up. We will take a break when we come back. We've got a couple of listeners' questions. We've got some news. We've got some injury news, and some of it isn't great for Premier League fans around the league. So I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So let's get into some of this injury news. Uh, Hyungman Son is set to miss out this weekend and probably for the remainder of the game's pre-World Cup, having had or having to undergo surgery to stabilise a fracture around his left eye. Ben Chilwell could be out of the World Cup. He suffered a hamstring injury last night against Dinamo Zagreb. And those can take four to six weeks at a minimum to recover from. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Dennis Zakaria took a bit of a knock in that game as well, but he should be okay. Lucas Paqueta is back in training for West Ham. That's good news. This is bad news. Niskan Cabano has suffered a ruptured Achilles 
in training this week, Fulham have announced, and that is certainly, or almost certainly, his season over. Um, he was playing quite well as well, which is disappointing for him, disappointing for the club. And at least he's not going to miss a World Cup, but that's a long road back. That's the type of injury players don't really recover from at times. Um, Bournemouth, David Brooks still out, obviously, on his working his way back. Um, Lloyd Kelly remains out. That's a bit of a strange injury. And Neto we won't see, apparently, until after the World Cup. Uh, Stuart Dallas and Adam Forshaw remain long-term absentees for Leeds. Archie Gray will be back in training on Friday. And Luis Sinistera has been ruled out until after the World Cup. Thankfully, well, not thankfully, but Colombia haven't qualified, so he's not missing a World Cup. Uh, Jesse Marsh on Sinistera. He wasn't making the progress we were hoping, so they did a scan and had a specialist look, and they started to worry that it may be a Liss Frank injury. A rare injury that controls the movement of the mesotarsals, and when that is ruptured, it can be a long recovery. We believe it's partially torn, which puts him in a bit of a grey area, but probably out until after the World Cup. That's a rare injury in football. You hear more about those Liz Frank injuries in basketball, and they do tend to be the type of thing that can linger and last for quite a while. Um, Brendan Rogers says Jesse Marsh could be back for the weekend. Uh, Ricardo Pereira is working well, having ruptured his Achilles in July. It'll be January for him. That's a quick return from a ruptured Achilles. Uh, Ryan Bertrand is another long-term absentee. Uh, ben Godfrey is back training, which is brilliant. Brilliant to see him back in training. Had that horrific, horrific injury at the start of the season. Uh, Yeri Mina should be back soon enough as well. And Jelaine Biancone will miss the remainder of the season for Nottingham Forest after sustaining a torn ACL in training. He had only made one appearance. It was in the League Cup. But they were quite high on what his future could be. So that is a bit of a disappointment. So there are the latest injuries. Um, That's not ideal. Not ideal at all. Uh, Japan have named a 26-man squad for the World Cup. Takahiro Tamiyasu, Kaoru Matoma, and Yuta Nakayama of Huddersfield all in the squad. Dazen Maeda of Celtic in the squad. But Furuhashi and Hatete have been left out. Oh, I, I think he's made a big mistake. I genuinely think he's made a big mistake there. They're two outstanding players, and I refuse to believe that Japan have better players in those positions, like two better players in their positions. I refuse to believe that they do. They're two really, really good players. Uh, right, let's do some questions then. Alex Sapopo. 
Okay, wanted to get your thoughts on welcome to on the welcome to Wrexham project. Do you think it's an overall benefit to the club, fans, and city? What do you think of the progress so far, and what will be the blueprint to take a team from non-league to the Premier League on a similar budget? I mean, there isn't really a blueprint because nobody's really done it other than Bournemouth, and they didn't even go into non-league. I like it so far. I have to say, I really enjoyed the show. And I do think these two have real interest in making this work. I, I don't think they're going to get scared and run away. I do think they have interest in making this work. I think it's been great for the club because it's made Wrexham relevant again on a national scale and relevant to an extent they've never been on a global scale. Um. I think it's given the fans something to believe in again. I think it's done wonders for the tourism industry in Wrexham. I could be wrong about that, but I'm almost certain I read something not that long ago that match day ticket sales are well up and that tourism into the city is up. So I, I think overall it, it's been certainly a positive. Um. They finished second in the National League last year and lost in the playoff semi-final, I want to say. Uh, this season, they are again second in the National League and they're one point behind Notts County. Notts County, another team I want to see back in the Football League. Chesterfield are five points behind Wrexham and again, they are another team I'd like to see back in the Football League. Um. They've got a good manager in Phil Parkinson who's done good work in different levels of the Football League. Like, he did good work at Colchester. I think he did quite well at Charlton. Uh, he did well at Bradford. Bolton didn't go great for him. Sunderland wasn't... Sunderland was a really bad time for anyone to take over. But I think he's done well at Wrexham since taking over. They've certainly not been scared to go out and spend some money. You know, you look at some of the players they brought in, they, they're paying football league wages to the likes of Paul Mullen and Ollie Palmer, two lads that they brought in and convinced to drop down, two lads that they gave longer-term contracts to, and two lads that will score boatloads of goals. The squad is of a largely decent age. You've got one forward player over the age of 30 and another who, and he is 30. You've got one who's 29. Your oldest midfielder is 29. They're all between 23 and 29 in that group. And in defense, you've only got, again, one player over 30. He's only 32, Ben Tozer, the center back. And the rest are between sort of 23 and 29. Um, I think overall the, the age profile of the squad is quite good. Like I say, they've been ambitious in, in going out and getting the likes of, of Palmer and Mullen, as was detailed on the Welcome to Wrexham show. Um, they've got Jordan Davies there, who's a talented player, who came through the Wrexham Academy, went to Brighton. It didn't work out for Brighton. He went back to Wrexham, and he's been very good for them. I think they're doing it the right way. And I think 
what we will see in the coming years is <laughs> funding into the stadium to to reopen the site that has been uh, been closed for the last couple of years because it's um decommissioned it's their their cop the spy on cop it's the capacity of 5000 and I think they'll want to get it maybe demolished and rebuilt, but if not, they'll certainly get it reconstructed and get it back in action. And when they do that, you're talking about, you know, say four to 5,000 there, four to 5,000 in the Wrexham Lager stand, nearly 3,000 in the Rex rent stand and three and a half in the McCroon stand, which is the newest stand at the stadium. So you're talking about potential capacity of, around 15,000. At the minute, it's about 10,000. But with the cop back open, it'd be about 50. And that will, I think they'll be able to sell that out. I think they've brought good attention to the club. I, I don't think this is just silly rich Americans being silly rich Americans. I, I think, especially McElhenney, he's got a real passion for sport. I think most people that grow up in Philadelphia probably do because it's a, it's a thriving sports city. You've got the 76ers who are one of the better teams in the NBA, not so much this season. It's been a bad start, but you've got the Eagles this season, one of the best teams in the NFL. You've got the Phillies who are in the World Series. You've got the Flyers who they're okay. And you've got Philadelphia Union who are in the MLS Cup Final. So in Philadelphia right now, this might be one of the best eras they've ever had. Where, let's see, where how are the Flyers starting their season? NHL season. Table. Okay, so the Flyers aren't great. They're currently fifth in the Metropolitan Division in the Eastern Conference. Um which is a tough division. You've got the New Jersey Devils, the New York Rangers, you've got the Hurricanes, the New York Islanders, the Washington Capitals, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, it's a tough division. But they're not great. But they're the worst team in Philadelphia right now. And they're kind of midland. They've won five lost three and had two overtime losses uh, of their 10 games. The 76ers haven't had a great start, but they've still got Joel Embiid, they've still got uh, Maxi. they've still got James Harden. They've got a good good roster of players. Like I said, the Eagles are, are brilliant this season. And they play tonight, do they? Yeah, they play tonight against the Texans. It's a game they're going to win. They win that, they go to 8-0 atop the NFC East. They'll be, I think, the only unbeaten team. Yeah, the only unbeaten team in the NFL this year. So you could make an argument that right now they're the best team in the NFL. Um, and like I said, the Phillies are in the World Series and Philadelphia Union are in the MLS Cup. So Philly's a sports mad town. I think McElhenney is a big sports fan, and I think he wants to make this work. Reynolds, 
I, I don't know what to make of him. I don't know whether he's just along for the ride and he's enjoying it and whatever else. I don't know if he has that real kind of hardcore interest in sport. I, I, I don't know as much about him, even though he's obviously the bigger star of the two and obviously the richer of the two. But um, look, I think so far it's been really good. I think it's been really good for the city, for the fans and for the club. Because when they took over, Wrexham were a little bit irrelevant and nobody really cared. Now, I think people care again. And they've been stuck in a rut for a long, long time. Like they've been out of the football league for quite some time now. And it would be great to see them back in. How you get to the Premier League, I genuinely don't know. I think you just have to build it in stages. Get up, stay up, establish yourself for a couple of seasons. You might have to look at three to four seasons in every tier. So let's say they go up this year. Next season, you just fight tooth and nail to stay in the division. Then the following season, you establish yourself in mid-table. The following season, maybe you make a bit of a push at the playoffs. And in that fourth season, then you look for promotion. Then you go up into League One. You fight tooth and nail to stay in the division. Then you establish yourself in mid-table. You have a push for the playoffs. And then you get promoted. Then you're in the championship and you do it again. So you could take 12, 14, 15 years to work your way up. But if you're not going to spend ludicrous amounts of money... That's the only way to do it, is to sustainably and organically rise your way up through the through the leagues. The alternative is the Salford City approach. Now they had a much lower starting point, obviously, but they financially doped their way up a couple of divisions. You can do it that way as well. I don't think McElhenney and Reynolds will do that as much. I know they spent big money for what is the Conference League. But I, I just don't see them doing that division after division after division. Because I, I don't know that they have the money between them. I know they're obviously very wealthy and Reynolds in particular is very, very wealthy. But I they're not like, they're not Peter Lim wealthy, who's the main backer of Salford City. They're not his level of wealthy. I don't even know that Ryan Reynolds is Beckham level of wealthy. He might be. Let's, there, there's an interesting thing. Now, it's net worth, so you can't really base too much on it. Ryan Reynolds' net worth, roughly $150 million. I would bet that Beckham's is higher. David Beckham net worth, $450 million. What's Neville's? About 25 million. But he apparently his financial assets, this is according to an article last year, were up to 70 million, but he doesn't own the majority of all of those. He owns stakes in them. Um, who else is involved? Paul Scholes, 
His has got to be similar to Neville's, about 25 million. Uh, Giggs is the other one. They're saying Giggs is about 60. I, I wouldn't believe that Giggs is that much higher. Um, whereas someone like Peter Lim is worth 2.5 billion. So you've got him and you've got Beckham. That's nearly 3 billion in net worth. Ryan Reynolds is worth one twentieth of that. So, yeah, they're not going to be able to do it the same way as, as Sulphur. Anyway, moving on. Isaac Gilding, question for the pod. Can you make a decent 11 of only centre-backs and then an 11 of only number nines too? Right. This is this is the type of thing I can get on board with. Um, give me a piece of paper. I've got 4,000 cards here. Most of them are empty, and everyone I pick up has something scribbled on it. Uh, there we go. Right. We want a decent 11 of centre-backs. I'm going to cheat a little bit in this one. I'm going to put Maldini at left-back. Is this modern day? Or all-time? Do you know what? We'll do, we'll do modern day. So I'm going to play Gvardiol as my left back. Right back. Let's carry on with this for a sec. I'm going to put Bastoni as a centre back next to Van Dyke. And rounding out a back four I'm going to go I'll go Christian Romero because he's played right back before he played right back uh, when he was at Genoa um, in midfield I'm going to put Jules Kunde. And David Alaba, either side of my holding midfielder. Lissandra Martinez. And then up front. I'm going to go with. I'm going to play Rudiger because he does score quite a few goals. So I'm going to play him on the left of a front three for a bit of madness. Uh, in the middle of the front three, going to go with. Actually, I'm going to play. I'm going to play a. One behind two. I put Joel Matip as my number ten, dribbler extraordinaire, and play Ruben Diaz as my other one, 
because I like the idea of him hurling himself at crosses, which he will get from Guardiola and Alaba down the left. Um, yeah, goalkeeper, I want an enormous unit, so it has to be Ibu Kanate. So you've got Kanate, Romero, Van Dijk, Bastone, Guardiola, Kunde, Martinez, Alaba, and then Matip behind Diaz and Rudiger. And a team of number nines. I'm going to play Haaland up front. With Mbappe. I'm going to play Darwin Nunes left wing. I'm going to play Ollie Watkins right wing. I'm going to play Bobby Firmino in midfield. Next to Ivan Tony, who's just a good passer of the ball. So I'm going to play him. And then at the back, I'm going to play Calvert-Lewin. Actually, I'll put Kane in central midfield. And Tony at centre back, play out from the back. Um, uh, left, right back is going to be Victor Simeon. And left back, I'm going to go Vlahovic because he's left footed, I think. And uh, I reckon he could do a job there. And then in goal, I'm going to put Alexander Isak because I think he's incredibly agile. So I'm going to go with him. So I've got Isak, Osimian, Calvert-Lewin, Tony, Vlahovic, Watkins, Firmino, Kane, Darwin, Haaland and Mbappe. Uh, who would win? Um, Probably the team of centre-backs because they know how to defend and most of these attackers have no idea how to defend. So I think the centre-backs could defend better, probably progress the ball better as well, because it's more natural to them. And I'd back them to score off a set-piece. So I'll go with the team of defenders to win. Uh, AMK2889, who do you think is the best team to have won a European Cup as well as a Champions League? These two teams were to play each other in a best-of-five series who would win. Between the two clubs, whichever has the most European Cups, Champions Leagues, would get that decisive fifth game. So do you mean which like which club has won in both eras? And their current teams, or... Huh. I think he means that, well, like how you just explained it there. So a club that won... So Liverpool v Liverpool, for instance. So Liverpool 84 versus Liverpool 2019, kind of. I think so, yeah. All right, okay. Okay, okay. So which team that won both and their best teams to win in either era? Um. Okay, well, I'll do a few of these then because there's a bunch of them that have done it. So uh, we'll start with Liverpool. 
So Liverpool's best European Cup winning team was probably 84. And their best Champions League winning team was 19. I would back the 84 team to beat the 19 team because I think they were better in midfield. Once I think when you've got the likes of Sunes in midfield, I think you're just different class. You've got Doglish and Rush up front. You've got Hansen at the back. I think I would back that team with the experience and mindset they had to beat the 19 team. Um, Let's do Barcelona then. So they won, I believe, the last European Cup. And then obviously they've won a bunch of Champions Leagues. Uh, I would certainly back the Guardiola-managed 2011 team over the Cruyff-managed 92 team. I think that would be to European Cup final. Let's see. Koeman for Hernando. I mean, the 92 team had some great players like Laudrup and Stoichkov and Pep and Koeman. But I, I think you'd have to go with the either the 2011 version or the Messi Suarez Neymar version now the 11 version the midfield was better obviously the other team had the better attack I think the defense was probably a little bit stronger with the Guardiola version so I go with that one and I would back them to beat the because we're talking about five games here Um, I would back them to beat the 92 version. Um, AC Milan. Saki's team that won back-to-back versus... Do you go with one of Carlo's teams? Do you go with Capello's team? I've always preferred Capello's team. But Capello's team was... A lot of the same players that had won under Saki in uh, 1988. No, it's 1989. I thought it was 89 and 90. And then 1994. So you had Galley in goal in 90. You had Rossi in 94. Now, the defence changed in the final in 94 because of injuries and suspensions, but it was the same defence that got them there, Tassotti, uh, Maldini, Baresi, and Costa Curta. Costa Curta and Baresi both missed the final, but the same diff- group got them there. I think the 94 midfield, although Rijkaard Ry- and Ancelotti is really, really good. Colombo and Avani. Boba, yeah, it's it's ninety four, I think. But then the the front two in ninety was unbelievable. It was Rude Hullet just off Van Basten, and in ninety four it was Savicevic off Massaro. Um, it's the same defense, but it's a bit older. But Maldini and Costa Curta were better in ninety four. I would say Tassotti and Baresi had had declined a little bit. 
The goalkeeper's a push. The midfield is better than 94. They're the two best Milan teams. I think. Now, a lot of people like the 07 team and the 03 team. They have definite merit, especially some of those midfields. But I'm going to say Saki's Milan. Saki's Milan, because they won it back-to-back years. And that's just so, so difficult to do. And it's the same 11... Galli in goal, Tassotti right back, um, Maldini left back, Costa Curta and Baresi in the middle of the pitch, or the middle of the middle of the defense. Um, you've got Colombo on the right. Donadoni play started in eighty nine, was injured in ninety. But he was a big part of how they got there. Yeah, it's the 89 and 90 team. It just is. That front two is spectacular. The midfield is really, really strong and well-balanced. And it's the greatest defence ever constructed. So I'm going to take that team as the best team I think that ever won the European Cup. And if I look at the best team to win the Champions League, I think it's the 11 Barcelona team. 2011 Champions League final. Barca beat Manchester United. Their lineup is Victor Valdez, Dani Alves, Mascherano, and PK at centre back. Abidal at left back. Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta, Via, Messi, and Pedro. We do what people hate and do a combined 11. I think I'm taking Giovanni Galli. It's obviously Maldini. It's Costa Curta over Pique. It's Baresi over Mascherano. Then you've got Dani Alves against Tassotti. Now, Dani Alves is obviously much better player going forward, but Tassotti, much, much better player defensively. Maybe the best defensive right back ever, even over someone like a Lillian Turam. And I don't think I'd break that defense up. In midfield, Rijkaard, I think, would be in with. I think Busquets was so special at that point. We might just take an all. Barca midfield play Iniesta, Busquets, and Xavi, and then Messi is a 10. But I mean, it's Hullet over Pedro by a mile, and it's Van Basten over Villa by a mile. I think the Milan team was stronger. And I think man for man, I think they'd have been a better team. I think they'd have swarmed that Barcelona midfield in a way they, they never experienced. It also obviously depends on what era you play in and what rules you play by. Because you play, if you play in the 89-90 rules in the 89-90 era, the pitches aren't as slick. You don't have the same level of recovery. You don't have the same level of nutrition. Your travel is much more difficult because you're flying commercial. 
And all of those things would have hampered the Barcelona team. Whereas if you push that Milan team into that era, all of those things help them. The rules massively help that Milan team in a lot of ways as well. I think Saki's Milan would have beaten Guardiola's Barcelona over five games. I do. I think they'd have beaten them over five games. Because what one of the things that Milan could have done is they could have just employed Maldini to man-mark Messi. And they could have put Roberto Musi or they could have put Ivani in as left-back and just let Maldini go and, and roam and, and kick Messi up in the air. Um, I'm going to go with the Milan team. I didn't do a Real versus Real, so the best Real team has got to be the one that won three in a row, although the Galacticos era team was really special. Oh, let's see. Uh, 98 European Cup final was the first one that they won. Um, It's not that team. That's a good team. Ilgner, Panucci, Sanchez, Herrera and Carlos. Probably the best defence that they had. Redondo, Karen Busiedorf is a really, really good midfield. Really balanced. And then you've got Raul Morientes and Mijatovic. You've got Davor Sucre coming off the bench. That's the team Capello had left, won, had built rather, won the league and then got sacked because, I don't know, the football wasn't enticing enough for some people. Um, they won it again then in 2000. They beat Valencia. And the defence isn't as good. The midfield isn't as strong. The attack isn't quite as good either. Uh, then they win it again in 02. This is sort of the Galacticos team. You've got Salgado. You've got Herrera. Herrero, you've got Helguera and Carlos. So the defence not as good as the 98 version, but the midfield is Makaleli, Figo, Santiago, Solari and Zidane. And then Roland Marietta's up front, um, which is... Let's be fair, pretty special. Um, you've got Casillas coming off the bench in that final as well and making a whole host of great saves. I still... I would still lean towards the 98 version over that version. But I think if we're being fair, it has to be the three in a row, doesn't it? So take whichever, not the not the last year of it, because they did seem like they were running on empty that year. Uh, 2017. Yeah, probably this one. We'll go 2017. We'll go the 2017 version. And their best before that. Oh, um, the best in the in old money, I would say. I mean, it's got to be one of the group that won five in a row. 
So let's say 5859, I suppose, is probably the one to look at. Um, Stefano, Copa, Cento, could be that one. What about 60? Sixty that added Puskas, but they'd lost Copa. Uh, I don't know that you can really compare. To be honest, the, the the eras are so so far apart, and like let's be honest, I haven't seen the vast majority of these players play a single minute. You can find enough footage of. The likes of Di Stefano and Puskas, but not, not many of the others. Um, I'll just say that the the Madrid two thousand seventeen team is theirs. It's that or ninety eight. I I think it's that or ninety eight. Ninety eight is the best defense. Redondo and Seedorf. See, Carambu was good, but not great. The other two were great. And that's probably where the midfield isn't quite to the level. Because I would say Seedorf and Redondo are better than any of the midfielders in that 17 team. But I think Karambu is the worst of the six. Like, Redondo was better than Casemiro. Seedorf was better than Tony Cruz. But Modric is an, a big level above Christian Karambu. Um but the front three, Cristiano and, and Benzema, just make the difference. So we'll go with that one. Uh, but I still think the best team to have won both is the is the Mil the Mil is Milan, and particularly that team because it was that team that sort of bridged the gap. That was a lot of the same players that won it in eighty nine, ninety, and ninety four. And let's not forget that Paolo Maldini was still there and still vital when they won it again in 03 and when they won it again in 2007 like that man won european cups 18 years apart that's the greatest defender ever and i would make the case that he might be one of the greatest footballers ever i, I like there's no doubt for me that the, the greatest footballer ever is maradona but or the best footballer ever is maradona but in terms of the greatest career ever i think you're hard pushed to beat this <laughs> i really think you're hard pushed to beat what he did Seven league titles, five European Cups. That's really impressive. One club all his career. Absolutely elite for pretty much 25 years. You're not beating that. Uh, right, that is it. I think that's all the questions for today. So we'll do the gossip and get done for the afternoon. Uh, Manchester City's German midfielder, Ilke Gundogan, is wanted by Atletico Madrid. He is out of contract at the end of the season. Napoli and Georgia winger Kavica Kvaratskeli, who is attracting interest from Liverpool and Chelsea, could cost as much as £86 million. They paid eight for him, which will tell you how much he's exploded this season. Manchester United have made Jude Bellingham the top transfer target. I, I don't believe that. Uh, Manchester United are seriously considering a move for Chupamoting. I, I could believe that. 
United are not actively pursuing any players in January. That makes sense. They spent an absolute ton of money in the summer. Uh, United are pr- planning to trigger a clause in Diogo Delo's contract to stop him leaving as a free agent next summer. That makes sense. He's having a really good season. Chelsea midfielder Jorginho wants to stay despite reported interest in Barcelona. The reported interest was nonsense. Uh, this is the spoof with the catchphrase, so we won't pay him much heed. Barcelona and AC Milan are leading the race to sign Jorginho. His agent must be doing an absolutely sterling job. Tottenham are being tipped to sign Hakim Ziyech. Absolutely no chance. Arsenal were offered the, the chance to sign Alejandro Grimaldo in the summer, but had another priority. Grimaldo doesn't really make sense for them. Um, Gabriel Martinelli says he's close to signing a new contract. That's not actually what he said. He said he would sign a new contract if one was put in front of him. But there's also reports that he's asking for 200 grand a week. So what he says publicly isn't what he's doing privately. Lionel Messi does not want to leave PSG without winning a major trophy. And the Argentine Ford is discussing extending his contract. Uh, didn't they win League League One last season? That's that on a major trophy. I think they did, didn't they? You you know you know why he doesn't consider that a major trophy, though. Yeah, because it's for farmers. <laughs> uh, it just it just you know goes to show that it's not dismissive when you say it. If players don't feel that way either, uh, Liverpool could look to sell Naby Keita, Alex Oxley, Chamberlain, and Nat Phillips to raise funds. In January, well, that would bring in a combined total of about 20 million because Naby and Ox are out of contract in the summer. Naby hasn't kicked a ball this season. Ox played 11 minutes, 14 minutes maybe, and I don't think he touched the ball. Uh, uh, Mikel Arteta is reiterated he is happy at his current club amid reports of interest in Barcelona. This such nonsense. Like, Xavi's doing a really good job. This is garbage. Arsenal and Leeds are interested in signing Red Bull Salzburg's Swedish midfield, uh, sorry, Swiss Swiss midfielder Noah Okafor. Um, Noah Okafor is a, is a good player, but he's not a midfielder. He is a winger or a forward player. And finally, West Ham, Nottingham Forest, and Leeds are interested in signing twenty-five-year-old Senegal forward Bouladia. Boladia, who's on loan at Salonatana from Villarreal. Um, he's a good player. He's a forward player that doesn't score a ton of goals. I was a little surprised Villarreal loaned him out this season. Uh, he had that one good season at Reims, which earned him the move to, to Villarreal. It's not like he was bad for Villarreal. But they loaned him out this season for reasons not known to me. He's having a good season for them. He has five goals in 11 games. And you could see why Premier League clubs would have interest. But like he's not moving anywhere in January, so it's a bit pointless. Uh, that, I believe, is it. If I have missed any questions, I do apologise. But time is against me anyway. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.